0: When I was a girl, I fell in love with finding secret things. Some of the biggest secrets are right in plain sight. We don't see them because we can't see them. We've been taught not to see them. They're willful secrets, chosen secrets, blind spots. And the biggest blind spot of all is how society impacts men and what ignoring that impact means for all of us.
1: Like a furry torpedo to the jugular. This is Honey Badger Radio. Radio is
0: Hello and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Allison Tiemann and with me is Hannah Wallen and Brian Martinez and we will be your hosts for this HPR Digest where we go over the last week in badger. As always, if you want to support the show, mosey on over to FeedTheBadger.com for a number of exquisite and delectable feed options. And if you'd like to get a taste of our community, please head over to BadgerNation.online and enjoy our public square. Feeling the social isolation blues? Have fun with fellow Badger fans. So feedthebadger.com to make sure these shows keep coming and badgernation.online to make or <laughs> to sample the fun in our community. And now on to those shows. Brian, I think you're used mm-hmm. to this. Wait, wait. Actually, this is something that we all decide. No, no, you decide. No, I you. picked it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you Yeah. I are. picked
2: it, so I am responsible. Why uh, did you this pick is, this is Why did you fault. subject
0: me? So why did you subject me to this?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I thought we needed something that we could, uh, you know, look at and have a chuckle about. I mean, we, you know, we've had these conversations like this for a really long time. So it's almost like, like, it's like the the world is exploded, but it's doing it in slow motion. And while we're flying away from like the center of that explosion, we're finding pieces of shrapnel and talking about them. So, um, this is a piece Indeed. of shrapnel that I found in our exploding reality, and um, I just thought it could it's be very fun. vivid.
0: This is so, a vivid metaphor,
2: yeah. I mean, it's like, I
0: You mean, I, uh, you mean like, ahead. our society is exploding, or, or
2: uh, yeah, I guess you could say that our, our hyper focus on every single inconvenience or not even inconvenience, but like every single negative feeling that women are having um, is destroying everything. And part of what's making them so unhappy is the fact that we are talking about everything they experience in the worst possible terms while also blaming men for it. So it's basically causing a massive explosion and it's, it's already occurred. We don't know what the damage is yet, but we are flying away from said explosion and we're looking at pieces of shrapnel that have like, you know, that are passing our sight as everything is blowing up. And so this one is a podcast from NPR. Uh, It's a segment from NPR entitled What Would a Feminist Internet Look Like? Where essentially they just talk about how we need to be a lot more censorious and a lot more authoritarian in our utopian feminist internet Um, and they speak to someone named Charlotte G of the MIT technology review, uh, about that so that she can give her two cents on uh, essentially how to make the internet safer for women. Um, and that also means that some women have to go obviously because there are women who Mm -hmm. make the internet unsafe for women and it's okay to make those women unsafe because they don't have the interests of women in mind, but it definitely means that men gotta go.
0: Yeah. And those women are
2: bullies. Yes.
0: Well, the, the women who'd make the, oh, the uh, Internet unsafe for other women aren't the women who are aggressively bullying women or calling them pick or whatever else they whatever new word for slut they have. Um, the women that are making the, the Internet unsafe for other women are ones who are ideologically not in lockstep with the individuals who are advocating. Mm-hmm. censorship. Yeah. So if you just have a disagreement with these individuals, you are a woman making the Internet unsafe. All right, so, what would a feminist internet look like? NPR (laughs) educates us. (laughs) With myself, that is Allison Tiemann, and Brian Martinez, HBR debate number 51. Ooh, 51.
2: Yeah.
0: Area 51. has nothing to do with it, but I just thought of that.
2: Hello, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Brian. I'm here with Allison, and this is... I guess I just made it an HBR debate. Uh, Number 51, Mm -hmm. what would a feminist internet look like? NPR educates us.
3: When computer scientists were creating the World Wide Web, the entire project was steeped in optimism. Early internet pioneers predicted a techno-utopia. You can hear it in this 1996 Declaration of the Independence of Cyberspace.
1: We are creating a world that all may enter... Without privilege or prejudice accorded by race, economic power, military force, or station of birth.
3: That was John Perry Barlow, a co-founder of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, reading the declaration. But did you notice what was missing from that list? Did you
2: notice what was missing? First of all, I find that he even made that statement to be super cringe, because if you're just making something available, you don't need to tell people that there's any there is any uh, gatekeeping going on. It's just. Avail, I don't I don't know this guy. I don't think he's the creator of the Internet, but um, because I don't know if that just
0: (laughs) okay. I don't know if anybody one person can really take that, but. It's interesting also that not only does she mention that women weren't included, which I guess back in the 90s, they didn't cons- think to include women in everything yet. Uh, although I think that everybody does include women.
3: Charlotte G., a reporter with MIT Technology Review, did notice something missing gender. Decades later, social media platforms have become havens for abuse, misogyny, and harassment. In a new piece for MIT's technology review, Charlotte G asks, what would a feminist internet look like? And Charlotte G is with us now to tell us more. Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: All right. I'm just pausing it there. So notice this is kind of interesting. I was talking about just now how women dominate social media and where men can Make like I even I hate even framing it this way because it makes it sound like a competition. I don't think it is, but the ways in which men impact the internet the most is when they create their their own websites, their own communities, so they build them, but they don't usually run social media, and uh, women do, and what's interesting is is that this woman, the host uh, interviewer, whatever, she says, social media is like basically the place where men get all this abuse and stuff what's interesting about it is in the eyes of this woman social media is the internet like there's nothing that exists outside of her favorite websites which is twitter facebook youtube google probably more broadly uh instagram etc so those are the places that she is talking about when she talks about uh the internet she's actually just talking about social media
4: for having
0: me well
3: first of all and I- did you want to say
2: something
0: no it's okay it's
3: okay all right and i hate i hate to start this way but i do have to start this way set the problem up for us you know why is the internet so toxic especially for public facing women there have been many many surveys that have shown that women in general and women of color in particular receive an excessive portion of the online abuse, which isn't to say that other people don't, but women are particularly targeted. So, why is the internet? Why is the internet so toxic to women?
0: Because <laughs> other women target women more. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like, if you look at the charges for uh, p- revenge porn, it's something like, uh, something like ninety-eight percent of the perpetrators, or like ninety-nine percent of the perpetrators, are women. 95% of the people who are victims are women. So the answer to that question is, and will always remain, because women are the targets, the, major- the main targets of women. Okay? Now, if you, if you look at just cross-gender targets, women are more likely to target men than men are to target women. But so essentially what a feminist internet would look like would be an internet that empowers women to target each other and has absolutely no reprisal for when they do. So it would be women essentially beheading other women willy-nilly and then the instant they get called out for it, they scream misogyny and victim blaming and they just go on to behead some more women. So that's, <laughs> that's the feminist internet. There you yeah. go.
2: The it, is, was- it is true because it is a social media platform. And like if you took away, you know how people say, and I, I really hate this, but I hear this a lot. I get this a lot where I will watch uh, conversations about, you know, just sort of like the general temperature of our society. And you'll always inevitably get to this point where people blame social media for the problems, where they say, well, Twitter, nobody should be on Twitter. Twitter is cancer. It's, it's, a, it's almost as though they're trying to tell us that Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, etc., it corrupted people. And made them into like these kind of socially hostile uh, people that engage in relational aggression. And the reason why I don't like that when people say that is because I don't think that Twitter does that to people. I think that people already can do that, and Twitter is just a tool that makes it really easy for them to do it. You know what I mean? Uh, I, you know. So when you when you say Twitter does this to people first of all, you're mostly talking about women because that is the way in which women um, act out hostility is through they do it socially. They do it through Uh, interrelational aggression, right? It's like mean girls, the whole thing. Everybody knows, you know, they've been bullied in high school and middle school by girls, whether you are a male or female. There has been, you know, women who have like, or girls that have decided they don't like you, they want to ruin your reputation, they spread rumors about you. That's exactly what happens on social media. It's exactly the same. And the thing is, women are way better at it than men. Men can do it. But women are way better at it on average than men. So does Twitter turn women into mean girls or do mean girls find that Twitter is really useful to them?
4: A lot of the problem, to be honest with you, is around women who have a platform and sexists who see that and then get enraged or frustrated by this. And as I say in the piece, you know, it's the same message. A woman is saying something that I'm finding uncomfortable And so I'm going to get her to shut up. And the way that this is done is through trolling campaigns, through people that kind of ask repetitive questions to people, just people that that are making, you know, life a bit more uncomfortable for women. Calling me out. So it's not a
0: repetitive question.
2: (laughs) They don't like it when you ask questions they don't want to answer. And then you hold them to account for not answering, which is what she's basically saying. Repetitive questions.
0: I don't think I understand, I I don't recognize what they term women, Uh, whatever they are referring to, whatever this woman thing that they have constructed in their mind, I don't want to be part of it at all. Mm -hmm. Because it sounds like a thin skinned, nasty piece of work that just wants to silence people. If you have a platform. And you, that means your voice is going further. That means you're going to attract more attention. That means law of averages, you're going to attract more negative attention. So the more of a platform you have, the more negative attention you're going to attract. The end. Um, I think I'm pretty sure that the, uh, the studies that, th- that they found have found that men actually attract more negative attention than women on the internet. And that includes... Uh,
2: from men and women.
0: Yeah, from trolls and whoever else. And that yeah. includes men with, with platforms. So, okay, you have, you have, Madam, you have invited me to feel uh, that I'm a victim of something. And I find myself wholly unconvinced by your desire to make me feel like a victim of something. What is it that you enjoy so much? Like, seriously. I
2: I think they're really afraid of confronting the truth. Like they like if they because you, you know, you described it as both liberating and uh, gave you a sense of, of security. And I know that those thing those things seem to be uh, oxymoronic or paradoxical. But the truth is, is that when you realize that you actually have control over your life and have control over your own fate and that you can, in fact, make decisions that directly impact you. But it only requires that, like, freedom to accept and engage in in that. You do find that with that freedom comes, like, your recognition of how you impact the world, which then um, requires your discipline. And then from that discipline comes the feeling of freedom. It's it's like you're no longer a leaf on the wind, Uh, you know, like... Now, you know that if there is a fail on your part, it's you that did it and you can adjust and improve and keep going. But it's your choice. And I think that the um, security blanket or the straitjacket of victimhood that feminists wear or they insist others wear, because I don't think they believe what they're saying, but they're hoping to convince other women of it, is uh, something that takes away all of their agency but it feels good because they don't have to take responsibility for anything. So if you the, the, having to face responsibility for women like this, um, I think it's like a, a, just a terrifying prospect. It's like looking at the painting of Dorian Gray. You know what I mean? Like it's a terrifying prospect to look at all that you have done and actually have to take responsibility for it. Um and i I think that that's what it is that they and and by the way you know being able to say this is the fault of the patriarchy or some other system or men or misogyny or whatever instead of what can i do you know to make my life better um being able to blame other things also explains why these women are so miserable and they don't have to take responsibility for their own misery because if they do, then they have to, again, I think it's a terrifying prospect for them. I think that it takes a lot of courage, and I don't think that they have that.
4: Of these ideas. I mean, the the interesting thing about the feminist internet movement is that it's, it's pretty diverse. It's a movement? And, and mostly it's just a loose collection of activists who are working on... Trying to redress the balance, the sort of power imbalance that's going on here. It's about pushing things away from big tech and towards individuals. So, for example, making this a more consensual relationship. Which data do you want to share? Are you comfortable with certain security settings? And, you know, we do also desperately need better privacy protections. So there's also a role for politicians and regulators here.
2: All right. So a little bit vague, but basically it sounds like uh, people should have more control over who they can ban and censor and block, but on an individual level. Also, though, politicians and lawmakers should essentially police the Internet Um, and only to her and her movements like proclivities. So this is basically what Twitter already does, but apparently it's not enough. Like Twitter literally works with Anita Sarkeesian and Zoe Quinn because they both have organizations, Feminist Frequency and the Crash Override Network that work with Twitter to figure out who should be there and who should not. But it's not enough, guys. It's not enough.
3: You know, how is it that this is half the population? Why is it that the concerns of half the population are so uninteresting? to these companies that play such an important role in all of our lives why is it that women being inundated not just with mean words but with threats to rape them and eviscerate them Mm. simply because they may have a role in public life is not taken more seriously what
4: (laughs) okay
2: eviscerate have you guys seen any of those threats I'm going to eviscerate you.
4: I, I look at stuff like there's some women who are building an app called Herd, which is like a completely different social network that's meant to be designed to be a much more pleasant experience.
2: It's called Herd? <laughs>
0: it's designed to be a much more pleasant experience.
2: They should call it Hive. That's what I would have called it.
0: <laughs> so how do they deal with uh how do they deal with the majority of bullying that's done by women
2: oh it's gonna happen if they're if they're putting together if it i you know what i actually really want her to be successful yeah. i'd like to because i want it to blow up and i want it mm-hmm. to be women only instantly and then i want to see
0: <laughs> instantly becoming the most toxic hole on the
2: internet <laughs> yeah like reddit like tumblr oh God. Yeah, right? Cuz those oh, are like, Well, I don't it, it, I don't it, know if Reddit is dominated by women, but but uh if,
0: if you just have women going at each other, mm. I I actually honestly think some of those those passive aggressive rape that, threats might actually become real incidences of uh, of rape. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I I would not like if you you get a woman riled up, I wouldn't put it past her going to some woman's house with like a dildo with razor blades on it or something. well they're pretty like women's fighting is just awful
2: oh no they did like when women get into fights it's to the death like they like they don't know when a defeat is certain they go they go to like permanently harm you like they're gonna take out one of your eyes they're gonna rip off an ear they're gonna do permanent damage but yeah it's
0: damage that lowers your social value but yeah, just just imagine like Twitter or Tumblr with absolutely no buffer between women, mm-hmm. like none whatsoever, no testosterone to just sort of ease the peaks a little. Oh, my God. It's going to turn into a bloodbath within days. Like just. Oh. Yeah.
2: yeah. But I want to see. Hey. I want to make make Herd happen. No, no, that would be maybe great. That, that, maybe be great. get a great watch. Yeah. Maybe someone should actually email Amber Herd to support Herd. Like she could give a bunch of money to it, it would be good for her PR with feminists and stuff. And then she could be the 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 face behind the social media platform only for women, complete completely abuse-free, from a woman who was also completely abuse-free at Herd's Herd, and and just let it just just let it go, let nature take its course. <laughs> oh, I just love and it. Be-
0: that if we if that happens somehow it'll end in nuclear Armageddon somehow. Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Like, like that that <laughs> that'll be the apocalypse. Well, the, the aliens are like excavating the charred remains mm. of our civilization. They'll be trained, <laughs> they'll be like, oh, well, let's use our alien forensic to figure out how this happened. And
5: they'll
0: be <laughs> looking at all of the various artifacts and go scanning yeah. the historical documents and they'll be like, oh,
4: heard. The
1: social media <laughs> first. Exactly. yeah
4: exactly i think you know we do need better regulations um i know of course. That we can't necessarily expect those to be explicitly feminist regulations but i do think that if we gave consumers in the u.s better privacy protections i think that that would be of huge benefit to women and to men too but also the tech companies themselves you know if they wanted to they could decide that harassment is not something they're willing to tolerate because, you know, they are able to work together on issues like terrorism, child sexual abuse. And right now it feels like they've decided that women being harassed and receiving rape threats, that kind of thing, is just like a cost of doing business that they're willing to pay.
2: Oh, my God. So child sexual abuse and preying on children – Online, as well as, uh, you know, I guess, Fuck uh, terrorism, it's basically the same as disagreeing Fuck with a woman on the internet.
0: If you assholes manage to get anyone to pay more attention to the fact that your asses haven't been properly pampered, powdered, then rape, or sorry, legitimate child rape and sexual trafficking and terrorism. You have that on your soul. And I hope there is some kind of karmic retribution for that because no, no, they should not spend a single moment on this quote unquote harassment of women, which is uh, rape threats. I mean, I wish you'd get raped. And furthermore, if you want these platforms to actually control the majority of harassment of women, they're going to have to come down on the behavior of women. So you're going to have to control the behavior of women. That's where all of this falls flat. That's where, that's where all the statements about how this, this social media app heard is going to melt down into an abyss of toxic, toxicity, which will probably start World War III within a day. It's because hmm. women are doing the majority of this crap, and you refuse to call them out. And you refuse to recognize their agency in doing this. Therefore, you are completely ineffectual in actually dealing with the bullying that's happening. And furthermore, you are going to take resources away from legitimate areas of concern towards your bullying, which you are practicing now. Which is the control of these social landscapes. I mean, that's what—that's what, why women bully. So they can control the social landscape. What are these two women doing? They are asserting a threat narrative in order to control the social net landscape against men well they're they're pointing it at men because they know men will respond to it that's what this is
2: what i think is actually going on here though is these feminists that want this and i don't think charlotte g is the only one they're basically looking for a way to reorganize the rules of the internet to allow them to maximize their ability to bully people and remove anyone else's ability to dissent and disagree with them. And, and I know that that's the case because they don't consider what they're doing to be bullying or harassment or violence. They only consider what people do against them to be that. They're reframing and redefining the terms. Um, they already, and it's, it, you know this is also true because they, they're, they're already favored by big tech. Feminists are what big tech sides with. They, in fact, uh, believe that, you know, feminism is just common sense. Like uh, Dr. Fauci would say, it just makes common sense. And that's what they believe. So what these women are doing is saying, well, sure, it's common sense because, you know, we're feminists. What we believe is absolutely reasonable. But the thing is, guys, you're not giving us enough power. You're not giving us enough of this power. And we need more. Okay, Austin, awesome, go ahead. Um, and so, like, ultimately, what a feminist internet would look like is feminists control everything. They control the speech. They control language. They control the narrative. No dissent is allowed. And all of this is supposed to be to protect women. But ultimately, it will also affect women because, you know, it's just like we said before, in the sphere of social media, women are the drivers and they they control the landscape. So feminists try, are not only trying to take this away so that men don't have a voice in the conversation, whatever that conversation might be. But they also don't want women to have one. They want to be the only ones that run things because plenty of women, you know, could also disagree. So
0: Ugh, OK. All right. And we're back again. Brian. Yes. I'm pretty sure this is you still. Tell is. me about the news show. What what, what did we do? What, what was done? I don't think I did it. So
2: no, I I what was I, I pick the stories and I get help from uh, some of our people doing the write-ups, and I appear on with several uh, panelists. Hannah is one of them. So on this week's HBR news show, um, I wanted to talk about the Micaiah Bryant uh, stabbing well, attempted stabbing incident that turned into a um, police-involved shooting uh, where a a woman who, um, well, anyway, a woman, a young lady, uh, a teenage girl, tried to stab another girl and was shot fatally by police. And of course, this was turned into a cause for activist groups like Black Lives Matter. But The reason why I wanted to talk about it just, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that it it was, in fact, a justified shooting because a woman was coming after another woman with a knife. And the woman who uh, uh, one of those women had actually called the police and they showed up to protect a woman. Uh, So it's got nothing to do with those details. But what I found extra interesting about this incident was the way in which it was framed by the media as well as celebrity personalities and other sort of online activist types where they essentially made the argument girls will be girls and it's okay if they get into knife fights because that's how it was for me when I was growing up. And I thought this was fascinating because it was literally – Like, you know, I was thinking if two boys had done this, would this have been a story? And would anyone actually be making this defense? I think the defense, that kind of defense is ridiculous anyway. But to essentially make the the same kind of argument that we claim we make for boys when they fight, which is that boys will be boys, but you're just doing it for girls and all of a sudden it's okay. I just think that's hilarious. So I just needed to... Point that out because I think that was something that people missed, and that is what I try to do on these on the think, news show.
0: I think mm-hmm. I must have missed that part of my childhood. You know, the knife. Yeah, fight, you didn't.
2: You haven't been into a knife fight with other girls. I mean, we did talk oh, a little bit about. To
5: be Allison, <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry, <laughs> it's it's not that much fun. Knife fighting <laughs> isn't that much fun, especially when the other person is the only one with the knife. It really
3: sucks.
2: Yeah, oh, the man. only way it can work is if you're in like a thrill uh, in a Michael Jackson music video. And uh, it turns into a dance number at the end. That's the only way that a
5: knife fight works out. But, um, well, or, or if you're like Indiana Jones and, uh, you know, you happen to be the one with the gun. Most teenage girls don't run around with guns. You know, some do, but not very many. Thank goodness.
0: Uh, well, they probably the ones that do know how to use them. But uh, the, uh, unless they're criminals.
5: Yeah, I was gonna say there there are female gang members. It's just that they're more likely to use something other than a gun. Mm. Yeah,
0: well, I, I was just gonna say, like judging from you know feminist rhetoric, that uh, w- uh, two boys wrestling is toxic masculinity. Just wrestling, mm-hmm. like two two kids just had roughhousing. play housing. wrestling. Yeah, rough right. Housing. Yeah, but but you know, so we can let boys. We can't let boys play wrestle, but girls should be able to knife fight with each other. Like, what kind of society are we creating if we have, like, we don't hold women to any kind of standard. Um, and they just can do whatever they want to each other. Like, how quickly do we descend into the caves with this nonsense? Women can knife fight. Women can can nuclear bomb each other. Women can, like, scalp each other. You know, that's good. That's that, that's just expressing her femininity. She has, like, 12 scalps of her, her female um, uh, female rivals. That's just, you know.
5: You, you you haven't seen very many chick fights they they do pull off each other's hair and pull out each other's hair depending on whether it's attached or not uh and and you know depending on which set of girls you know whether it's whether it's girls with money or girls with no money it it might just come off it might not be attached if they're girls with money uh yeah. so yeah
2: Oh, and when girls fight, they, 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 it's not like when men fight. I think when men fight, they, they try to establish dominance and then they try to end it there. So it's like a guy pins a guy or knocks a guy out if it gets to that. uh, Or one guy essentially submits. He says, I give up. Right. And usually, if they, if they have the ability to uh, restrain themselves, that typically ends it because, you know, we have just established essentially. The hierarchy between these two men, and that is the end of it. But when women fight,
5: it's (laughs) it's it's like like. they,
2: yeah, they want to ruin the other person permanently in some way, scar them, rip out their hair, they lose an eye, or they could escalate. Huh?
5: And there's fish hooking. A girl will stick her finger in your mouth and take her fingernail and try to rip out your cheek with it.
2: Yeah. It's oh. vicious, is what I'm saying. It's yeah, it's vicious.
0: vicious. Well, it's trying to attack your social, uh, mm-hmm. your social standing. Okay, well, let's move on to the next. All
2: right. Speaking so yeah, social... aside from that, uh, we also have a story which uh, may not appear to be about men's issues on the surface, but it really is, which is essentially uh, talking about Joe Biden's administration's climate plan and all of the things that he's planning to institute which essentially will result in the losses of lots and lots of jobs that are done by men. And that this aspect, again, not at all brought up, not at all discussed. Um, And it's a lot like, you know, something about cutting our red meat by 90%. So we can only have like one hamburger a month or something like that. It's crazy. Um, Then we have a, Oh, this one's pretty funny. Uh, the YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki, had um, given herself a Free expression award, which was also sponsored by YouTube and then appeared on YouTube to thank YouTube for awarding her with a YouTube award. So <laughs> well wow. also, by the way, yes, yes, she, she awarded herself a medal for being herself. while also, by the way, in her sort of like acceptance speech, for the award, she gave herself. She talked about like the several million channels and, that she removed from YouTube for. So, like, it's a free expression award. But let me talk about all the channels I
5: took down as a way of celebrating that. Okay. As a and, way of celebrating free expression, we're going to talk about the importance of censorship. Okay, guys. <laughs> I know.
0: I know we're we're experiencing the explosion and watching the shrapnel or having experience. But you know, there it is sort of a i have to admit that the, the 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 side the um the floor or the the show what is it the uh the dinner show at the end of the end of the universe or whatever you want to call That's it right. it's, it's, it's the, pretty, end of the it's yeah, pretty yeah. freaking hilarious like come on this yeah is sometimes good.
2: the shards are really funny it's like when you're laying down and there are clouds passing you see one you're like that one looks like a penis it's like that but these are shards of from the explosion <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, we have a story about, um, well, essentially there is this game called Hearthstone, which is uh, very popular, um, is developed by Blizzard, and it's sort of like a video game, but it's a card game. Anyway, there um, it's extremely popular with gamers and a lot of uh, um, game streamers, right? They, they They stream this and they have tournaments and all this other stuff. And there are a couple of them that are women. Uh, there are some women gamers. And essentially, they were complaining that at the highest levels of competition, it's male-dominated. And there, were, there was a tournament for $100,000 uh, that was won by a woman one year, a Chinese woman, I believe. Um, and her name was Jia D and uh she won and so when that happened a bunch of other female gamer streamers or i guess g- game streamers complained that there should be more inclusion because then there would be more female champions and they were lamenting the fact that she was the only one in uh, basically all of this oh, history so, of this tournament
0: so a woman won something and then the other women were immediately like uh, i deserve that cuz
5: i'm also a woman
2: uh basically, yeah yeah it all, They all jumped on board and took credit for her victory. Um, And and they
5: other women have to claim ownership of it and her.
2: Yeah. And then uh, Blizzard decided that it was going to try to make room for more female participants in tournaments. And what's really funny is they actually got two men who were supposed to be in a tournament to step down and give their slots to women. And so they so they would get close to like a 50-50 parity but even then they didn't it's still more men and um, well w- I predict that those women are going to get absolutely destroyed because they're not they're not at the highest level and so they're going to complain that not enough women are winning tournaments and so <laughs> this is sort of like the inevitable outcome. And of course, this Chinese girl—I hope she doesn't know that this is all going on because it. She deserve if she won on her own merit, then she deserves deserves a credit for it. But it has nothing to do with her being a woman. And so it, it's just kind of an interesting thing because what what I think this really comes down to is people not coming to grips with reality, and reality is hitting them in the face. In this, in this microcosm, right? A woman wins once because she's good. Other women say, well, how could, she, how could she be allowed to be the only person who wins? I'm a woman. And then they demand that they get to play at the highest level, and now they're gonna get destroyed because they're not at the highest level just because they're placed there. So, um, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh,
0: it's unbelievable. And you notice that the, <laughs> the, the, the progression here, one woman wins and gets into something by her own merit, and then all the mm-hmm. other women are like, yeah, we deserve that too. Because vagina. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't. That's individual merit. That was what she constructed by her own hands with her own effort and her own determination. You deserve none mm-hmm. of it. And in fact, you are destroying what she did. Like, it, it, yeah. oh, God damn it. I, I just don't. This, this behavior. Know, if they were
5: actually worth anything, they would be studying what she did to see if they could do it.
0: Of course, yeah, but, but that's that not takes the way they see work. it. Yeah. That's not the way they see it. They see it in terms of I deserve it too because I'm a woman, and how dare she? How dare she have this thing that I don't also have? Like, and it's like, you... Oh, God. What do you do, think do with that? The nature
5: of collectivism really... Uh, and and men that? are more individualist and women are more collectivist, if you look at it, because men if if a group of men is out doing a thing and one man does really great at it, um and it, you know he's earned that for himself, and they recognize that he's earned that for himself. and then if he shares the bounty of his earnings, it's appreciated because they recognize he's the one that stuck his neck out, he did the work, and he had the excellence, and he earned it for himself, but he was willing to benefit others through having done that. Whereas women, the moment a woman earns something, they don't think of it as she earned that for herself. She earned that for everybody and everybody has a right to it. Everybody female, that is. And uh, it's a very different attitude. And it's one of the reasons why men and women have difficulty communicating about issues regarding anything that is earned Because women are so entrenched in the idea that if a member of a group earns something, it belongs to the group. And men are not entrenched in that idea. Yep. I don't know if that makes sense, but it it definitely really, really sticks out like a sore thumb in gaming. Because gaming is all about individual earning things for yourself. Unless you're playing a team Uh, team sport game or some other team activity game uh, and and then it's you know doing your part for the team because you agreed to be part of a team but just by nature of existing doesn't make you a team and uh, like women don't seem to get that
0: No, but they uh they definitely demand it and uh, you could see why women have less achievement i mean if you have to share it with everyone why bother Maybe that's why yeah. I, I turned to this particular branch of, uh, of thought because, you know, most women are like, Oh, ew no, <laughs> so it could be, you know, whatever we achieve here, uh, could be what we achieved individually, you know, mm-hmm. but what I achieved here is what I achieved individually. Okay. So this is what would a feminist internet? Oh no, sorry. That was the previous one. Uh, this all is,
5: the previous one,
0: <laughs> girls will be girls. The Biden Plan, YouTube Awards, YouTube, Woman Awards self. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you imagine God. if Trump did that?
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Or any man, any yeah. man. Yeah.
0: Okay. HBR News 304 with Brian Martinez, Hannah Wallen, Mike J., and Dr. Randomercamp.
2: This is HBR News number 304, Girls Will Be Girls, The Biden Plan, YouTube Awards, YouTube, where we reflect on the stories of the week and give it the badger treatment. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good middle of the night, no matter where you might be, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I hope you guys are doing well this week and that you are laughing at all of this insanity so that you are not consumed by it. I am your host, Brian. I'm joined by, as always, my austere patriarchs and our handmaiden, Hannah, Mike J., and Dr. Random McCam.
1: So, um, so, most of you probably heard the story now. We'll go over the basics of it first, though. Uh, Paula Bryant, the mother of Micaiah, Mic- Micaiah, Micaiah. I, I say
2: Micaiah. It's. I think it's I've Micaiah. Heard
1: every different way. Uh, Bryant has spoken out for the first time since the police-involved shooting of her daughter. Uh, Micaiah Bryant was fatally shot a week ago after police responded to a call concerning an attempted stabbing. When Columbus, Ohio police arrived on scene, Micaiah Bryant was seen charging at and attempting to stab one girl who fell to the ground. She then quickly shifts her attention to another nearby girl holding a dog. And as she's about to stab the second girl, the officer fires four shots. The officer's attempted CPR, and she was rushed to the hospital in critical condition, but was pronounced dead shortly afterwards. Paula Bryant offers a slightly different explanation for the series of events that led to her daughter's death. She says that it was Micaiah who called the police as girls were fighting outside of her house. Quote My daughter dispatched Columbus police for protection. Not to be a homicide today. End quote.
6: <laughs> like thank thank God he didn't wait until half a second later when when the stab had been completed because she was in mid stab at the time. If he'd wait mm. half a second later, he'd have a stab victim and a and a shooting victim. But because he was so quick to react, uh, a black girl's life was saved, and I'm told Black Lives Matter. <laughs> President Joe
2: Biden's ambitious plan—I would say it's more like the Biden administration's plan. I don't know if Biden actually has opinions on anything. President Joe Biden's ambitious plan to slash greenhouse emissions by 50 to 52 percent, strange number, over the next decade could prompt sweeping changes that could affect how Americans eat, drive and heat their homes. He claims that the plan would create jobs and boost economies. His goal is to have the U.S. carbon free by 2050. While Biden hasn't released details on what life could look like for Americans, experts and recent studies have laid out what would need to change by 2030 to reach this goal. Americans would have to cut red meat consumption by 90% and animal product consumption by 50%. To do that, it would require Americans to only consume about four pounds of red meat per year. That's like a hamburger a month. Uh, or 0.18 ounces per day it equates to consuming roughly one average size hamburger per month 65 percent of new cars and suv sales and 10 percent of new truck sales would need to be electric currently electric cars make up about two percent of new passenger vehicle sales the average cost of a new electric vehicle is about fifty five thousand dollars Nearly 25% of homes would need to be heated by electricity rather than natural gas or oil to help reach Biden's emission goal by 2030. The average cost to install an electric heat pump, which an all-in-one heating and cooling unit, is about $5,613, according to Figures Home, uh, Home Advisor. David Williams, president of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, said that Biden's plan is just a, quote, multi-trillion dollar corporate welfare giveaway. Strict climate mandates slash targets will disproportionately hurt lower and middle income citizens who will be forced to pay higher electric bills, end quote the usps yahoo news obtained a document that reveals the united states postal service law enforcement arm i didn't know they had a law enforcement arm but it makes sense has been quietly running a program that tracks and collects Americans' social media posts a surveillance effort known as internet covert operations programs or icop has not previously been made public Yahoo News reports that the program involves analyzing social media sites to look for inflammatory postings and then sharing the information across government agencies. For those of you guys who are living in countries like Scotland or Ireland, or maybe even the UK, this probably doesn't surprise you. Um, (laughs) From Yahoo, quote, Analysts with the United States Postal Inspection Service Internet covert operations program monitored significant activity regarding planned protests occurring internationally and domestically on March 20th, 2021. End quote, says the March 16th government bulletin marked as law enforcement sensitive and distributed through the Department of Homeland Security's fusion centers. I imagine that these are those terrible insurrectionist types that don't want to wear masks and not the mostly peaceful Black Lives Matter and Antifa ideas um, just sort of gathering randomly and uh, under no like organization. Many different groups plan to assemble on March 20th as part of a worldwide rally for freedom and democracy. Ha <laughs> ha. See, was including some protesting lockdowns and others protesting 5G. The bulletin included screenshots of posts of Facebook, Parler, and Telegram, stating, quote, locations and times have been identified for these protests, which are being distributed online across multiple social media platforms to include right-wing leaning Parler and Telegram accounts, quote. The bulletin also said that, quote, ICOP analysts, end quote, were monitoring social media channels for any potential threats from the protests. This seems a little bizarre. Rachel Levinson Waldman, deputy director of the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program, told Yahoo News... Quote, based on the very minimal information that's available online, it appears that ICOP is meant to root out misuse of the postal system by online actors, which doesn't seem to encompass what's going on here. It's not at all clear why their mandate would include monitoring of social media that's unrelated to use of the postal system, end quote. ICOP provided a general statement explaining its function to assess, quote, threats to Postal Service employees and its infrastructure by monitoring
5: publicly available open source information, end quote. All right. Um, Gee, it's this, uh, almost it's, like whenever you create a government agency to do something, it has to bleed over its uh, boundaries and start doing more things that are not part of its original uh, mission. Yeah. Uh,
2: There is more. Additionally, the Inspection Service collaborates with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies to proactively identify and assess potential threats to the Postal Service, its employees, and customers, and its overall mail processing and transportation network. In order to preserve operational effectiveness, the United States Postal Inspection Service does not discuss its protocols, investigative methods, or tools, end quote. Chicago law professor Jeffrey Stone, whom President Barack Obama appointed to review the National Security Agency's bulk data collection in the wake of the Edward Snowden leaks, has expressed confusion on the Postal Service's examination of Internet posts for security issues. I just don't think the Postal Service has the degree of sophistication that you would want if you were dealing with national security issues of this sort, he said. There are so many other federal agencies that could do this, I don't understand why the Post Office would be doing it. You've got the FBI, Homeland Security, and so on. Yeah, I mean, I can't even, I'm still waiting on, Lindsay and I are still waiting on a letter from Lindsay's mom that she mailed out months ago.
1: So, I don't know why these people are the ones best qualified to do this, but still. CEO of uh, Google owned YouTube, Susan WikiWiki Wajiski, was awarded the Free Expression Award by the Freedom Forum Institute. (laughs) A lot of freedom in there, man. So free.
2: She, She was awarded the Free Expression Award. YouTube. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Mike.
1: So awarded the Free Expression Award by the Freedom Forum Institute, which is just kind of a little bit sponsored by YouTube. <laughs> so again, yeah, YouTube award, YouTube then praises YouTube, YouTube mostly responsible. Uh, <laughs> during her acceptance speech where she. There's something I can't get over about her and like, I'll say it and you guys are never going to unnotice this. She always looks like she just woke up and she cried herself to sleep.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah.
1: The, it's the I same look jack dorsey has yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah except jack dorsey woke up in a cave in afghanistan
1: yeah yeah he's slowly getting this Rasputin thing going on yes
2: <laughs> oh
1: soima that's uh, that's
2: oh Oso- <laughs> soima been blocking <laughs> yeah oh soima been blocking right
1: So uh, during her acceptance speech at the digitally streamed awards ceremony, because, you know, we can't meet up in person anymore, uh, unless you're a bunch of Hollywood millionaires, then you can, but you're not going to (laughs) get very good ratings. Yeah. Uh, Wojcicki stated, uh, quote, the freedoms we have, we really can't take for granted. We really have to make sure we're protecting them in every way possible. We also need to make sure there are limits. A lot of content that technically meets the spirit of what we're trying to do but is borderline and so for that content we just reduce meaning we're not going to recommend it to users end quote Wojcicki also went on to explain how over 9 million videos were removed from YouTube last quarter alone and that 90% of those removals were done with AI machine uh, algorithms which you know of course she framed as a good thing
6: as freedom written well, all over it Borderline is an interesting turn of phrase. I think you'll know what I'm...
2: (laughs) Blizzard, do better. Apparently, there has been some controversy in the Hearthstone community after a competition didn't include enough whamons. So uh, Hearthstone is an online strategy card game from Blizzard Entertainment that attracts Twitch streamers and other online personalities to compete in tournaments and the like. In 2019, a woman, Xiaomang... Uh also her her uh, screen name is VK Lion Lee won the Hearthstone World Championship trophy at BlizzCon. I never had so many chills. I was so proud. We thought in that moment that things were going to change, says Kai alki lake a hearthstone twitch streamer in an interview with pc gamer it didn't we haven't seen a single change since vk lion won. end quote so just so uh, you guys because i know that there's a lot of weird like screen names here basically a korean woman won a video game tournament not that surprising (laughs) mostly because korean not really because woman And um, because especially when it comes to Blizzard, I don't know what it is, but Koreans love them some Blizzard games like Starcraft tournaments, Overwatch tournaments, um, you know, uh, the the, I guess Hearthstone. I never played it. I don't know much about it. Uh, League of Legends. It's not Blizzard, but whatever. Like Koreans dominate that shit. That's like their thing. Okay, it's a big part of the culture of the young people in South Korea. Specifically. So a female South Korean won a tournament and all the other women gamers suddenly took it as a victory for them as well. Right. Oh, maybe she was Chinese. I don't know. Uh, I, you know what? I could, maybe I'm just racist. I don't know. Um, okay. But anyway. Last week, a Blizzard-run competition called the Crossroads Invitational pitted two teams of Hearthstone personalities against each other in pursuit of a $100,000 prize pool. The problem was the initial roster featured 18 men and only two women. Dun, dun, dun! Oh my God, the best of the best, and it was mostly men. Why? All of this misogyny. The roster made, quote, some content creators like Slissa wonder aloud why so many female content creators are overlooked for these spots. Slissa also mentioned that Blizzard asked her to run an all-women Battlegrounds tournament last year. She says the petitioned Blizzard, or that she had petitioned Blizzard to make the competitor's pool more diverse, but was told no by the company as it would quote, look bad if the women lost. <laughs> I find this paragraph funny because she wants diversity, but Blizzard is worried that if she gets diversity, the women won't win. So like, they'll get their asses handed to them. Because again, this is highly competitive, online video game tournaments they tend to be dominated by men uh this sparked a wine fest on social media to which blizzard responded by adding two women by slots va- to wait blizzard responded to by adding women to slots vacated by a couple of male players so um i will show you guys the tweet uh it's right here by hearthstone we have two new participants for the Crossroads Invitational. Welcome at Luna Love 8 and at Aveline HS to the roster. And a huge thanks to Crip and Regis Kilbin for graciously offering their slots. So literally, and this is actually what feminists want, <laughs> that's, two that's men. That's such a great
1: name. We have to acknowledge that real quick. What? Regis Kilbin. <laughs> yes.
3: Instead Regis of Regis killed. Kilbin. I, yeah. love, I love that. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: fucking great. Fucking hats off, man. Yeah.
2: Um, So Regis Kilbin and uh, the other guy, Crip gave up their slots, i.e. men have been asked to remove themselves to make room for women who are not as good. I mean, they couldn't be. Otherwise, they would have had those places. Uh, Hearthstone continues uh, down the thread, Why we're doing this. Representation and inclusion matter, and we're committing ourselves to being better. It's vital that our events represent the reality of the Hearthstone community made up of numerous talented and deserving women who dedicate themselves to the game every day. In order to commit ourselves to doing better in the future, every community events invitees we'll have a greater representation of women moving forward. This is the this is only one piece of our future plans around diversity and inclusion. To the women of the Hearthstone community, thank you and know that we will live up to this rough to through, uh, we will live up to this through our actions.
6: Just get in touch with the bully hunters. I hear they have access to a battalion of elite female gamers.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And then here's a picture because Lindsay wanted me to show me this, or of of the actual Hearthstone community. So like, there's a website you can go to where you know, like, they basically say, "Hey, do you want to be a professional gamer? Here are all the things you're going to need to do." And they actually have photos of people practicing. Uh, here is a picture. I want you guys to look at. Do you see any women here um, that are practicing the Hearthstone game and playing? Well, now you don't know how any
6: of those people identify. Uh,
2: bro. uh, That's true. I don't know that. I don't know that. Um, It's not only is it mostly men, but it's mostly white men. God, this is really bad. (laughs) This is really bad. But um, yeah, so that's the story. Essentially, Blizzard because they're pussies they caved in to demands unreasonable ones so that there would be more female representation in these blizzard tournaments and by the way they didn't want to initially do this because i think they were afraid that women were not going to win the tournaments and that ultimately that's going to be the complaint which it is because it was never about equality of opportunity it was always about equality of outcome Which, by the way, they had to do by altering the opportunity by getting two men to quit and not participate in the tournament to make room for two women who are probably going to lose big time.
6: Again, why didn't they just get those men to identify as women? I mean, (laughs) surely that's less convoluted than what you're doing here, or is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and we're back. Uh, Hi, folks. It's the Doctor from the future. Not not Doctor Who. That's not even the Doctor's name, even if it is. It's it's me. Hi, uh, and I'm I'm not a Doctor either. Why? Do... Next up, unsafety nets: society's unwitting self-destruction device. HBR Talk One Seven Eight. Hannah from the past. Uh, your recording is about to go ever so robot. So could you please present your summary? in the style of a news station that cuts out every time the truth comes up. In other words, a news station.
5: All the other moms in, in trees was like, she's fine, leave her alone, right? So I, I grew up learning the value of risk-taking and the value of recognizing the difference between a safe that you have under your control where you maybe save up a little money so that when you need new tires on your car you can buy them, uh, you know, or when you have a medical emergency, you can pay for it, you know, or something like that. Um, whereas, or, or, or instead, society that are actually controlled by other people, uh, they end up putting a lot of stipulations on people's lives and activities that trade that to take perfectly reasonable...
6: Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> now... HBR Talk 178, Unsafety Nets, Society's Unwitting Self-Destruction Device.
3: We get
5: told all of the time by political ideologues what kind of dangerous culture we live in. Rape culture, drug culture, gun culture, gang culture, even cancel culture. There are dramatic political arguments around every one of those labels. The reality is we live in a safety net culture. And it's strangling everything about humanity that makes our species great. HBR Talk with Hannah Wallen. I would describe safety net culture as an environment where a naive, habitual, or compulsive over reliance on external enhancements for one's sense of security is normalized, pervasive, and to some degree community enforced, often to the detriment of both the reliant and the enhancement providers. I use the term safety net because that's common slang for safety and security enhancements used either to prevent adverse conditions or to minimize or manage the consequences when something goes wrong. The literal meaning of a net to put into place to catch a daredevil who has fallen in the midst of a stunt provides a great way to explain what can go wrong with such measures. You see, there are two basic kinds of safety nets. Some are controlled by the people they've been set up to protect, like growing your own vegetables so you can control what chemicals you're exposed to, or setting aside a small savings in case of an emergency expense or a lapse in employment. Some are controlled by others, like trusting a government agency to tell you which foods are safe to eat, or to provide you with emergency supplies after a hurricane. Across those two types are two subtypes. Some measures are reasonable, rational, and beneficial steps taken without imposing on anyone against their will. Some not so much. They may involve unreasonable steps or imposition, they may be ineffective or dysfunctional, or they may be supported by irrational beliefs or expectations. Feminism's rape culture narrative, for instance, leads to women and girls taking all kinds of ridiculous measures for their own purported safety as well as demanding a right to expect the targets of sexual misconduct allegations to be stripped of their due process rights in order to protect women. Meanwhile, the risk of sexual violence faced by men and boys is totally ignored if not actively buried by the same ideology. The result is the endangerment of both sexes in multiple ways. Similarly, many authorities responded to the past year's health crisis not by identifying and enacting measures to protect vulnerable demographics, but by restricting the general population from some actions and mandating others while controlling the flow of information in such a way as to make themselves look horribly untrustworthy. And they're still doing it. If totalitarian governments wanted thin excuses to engage in obedience training of their citizens and authoritarian infringements on civil rights, they could ask for no better formula than the American progressive approach to risk management during the pandemic and the vaccine rollout. It is as if they had intended to elicit rejection, rebellion, distrust, conflict, and polarization among the public, in order to excuse concluding that people are too stupid to make their own decisions, and then cracking down. In addition, they've encouraged the more compliant part of the population to feel threatened by the possibility of independent thinkers making their own decisions, promoting the idea that feeling unsafe is a valid excuse to demand infringements on the rights of one's neighbors and even become aggressive toward them. As is becoming apparent, there are some ways in which safety nets can be detrimental to the individual's welfare like declining to take apparent risks to obtain worthwhile benefits if there is no perceived safety net. If nobody ever took those risks, the best parts of human history never would have happened. Even those who do take risks can be influenced by the presence of a perceived safety net, as just recognizing the potential consequences of failure can increase one's determination to succeed. Lowering one's consideration for potential consequences can lead to a more lax approach to the risk at hand, increasing the chance for errors, as well as the chance one may just give up. In the other direction is the decision, influenced by the assurance of a perceived safety net, to engage in high-risk behaviors with little or no benefits. The sexual revolution is pretty much a microcosm of the drawbacks of safety net culture. Under social norms regarding women's sexual choices, it's not even acceptable to point out that not all of the potential consequences of carelessness can be mitigated. God forbid anyone mention that what cannot be mitigated can have profound individual and society-wide impact. Instead, under the new improved standards, women must be protected from any sense of being judged. To that end, they are placed on a pedestal of presumed beneficence. From there, they are expected to look down upon all cautionary advice as sexist moralizing intended to control women's bodies. Guided by gynocentrism and feminist rhetoric, girls and women who take stupid risks end up profoundly shocked when they discover consequences from which no one is willing or able to protect them. Meanwhile, we have entire government departments set up to shield women and families from the manageable consequences when women engage in indiscriminate, unprotected sex, and reliance on their programs grows annually. Two-faced feminists complain with one mouth about the lack of gender parity among CEOs and federal-level government office holders, while the other shrieks demands for more and bigger government-administered safety nets for women. At no point do they consider the possibility that feminist-lobbied programs which make women too comfortable with failure and mediocrity might be one reason why fewer women aim for those high bars. And don't you dare bring up the damage that ripples out when that carelessness is government-funded. If you do, defenders of Milady Jezebel, Queen of the Department of Human Services, will be happy to correct all of your misconceptions. Multiply all of that by similar systems in nations all over Western civilization and you have a worldwide maze of comfortable, reassuring, liberty-killing detriments to human progress. Unsafety Nets Some destroy human initiative by eroding people's ability to feel confident without some version of a security blanket in law, policy, or social standards. Some protect against things that are not threats, at the expense of rights, freedoms, and peace within communities some offer only an illusion of safety while encouraging risk that comes with only an illusory reward. Unsafety nets have become abundant everywhere humanity has erected huge government structures to act as all-encompassing safety nets in place of more trustworthy individually controlled measures like diligence, ingenuity, mindfulness, personal ethics, and neighborly altruism. We're left totally unprotected against the scariest monster known to man, the hard master who uses the pretense of being more invested in your welfare than you are as an underhanded means of keeping you from becoming equal to him.
0: I think part of human society is creating a safety net. I mean, if you think about it, our- Oh so, yeah. our, our towns, our village, our houses, everything is a safety net for us. This little nest, little perfect human environments that we live in. Um, otherwise, we'd all be running naked in the woods and getting eaten by bears. So, I mean, there's there's an impulse in human society to create a safety net. So, I want to create a, a fear culture around the safety net itself. The question really is, when does the safety net become itself um, harmful without getting rid of that impulse that we all have to make our world safer for each other, more comfortable for each other, more just for each other? I mean, that's, that's the basis of human civilization. If we didn't have that. We would be chimpanzees. Um, I mean, they have sort of a, 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 I don't don't want to call it a society, they sort of have a social structure, but they they rarely have any interest in making things more comfortable for other chimpanzees, and yet human beings do. We have an interest in, in ensuring that vulnerable members of our community remain comfortable and safe, and that's sort of part of what makes us who we are. So I guess the real question is, where do we draw that line between that part of us that makes us who we are, which is our desire to help the vulnerable. And that is particularly, ironically, the West has that quality to it. We want to ensure each other's rights because we see each other as vulnerable without them, if that makes any sense. Whereas other cultures, and I'm a, I'll am do the cultural relativity thing, I'm not, I'm not passing judgment, but they're different. They're more authoritarian and they tend to regard weakness in others as um something to be contempt have contempt for and in those cultures you're less likely to see the rise of social justice warriors because weakness is contemptible you're supposed to win back your honor through violence or other means and uh and if you can't you're not seen as somebody who should be protected or socially included and i think one of the things that's great about our culture i'm i guess i'm going to sound like a western supremacist here is that we do actually care about redressing harms done to people. So the idea of justice is people should have a right to a certain amount of dignity and respect of their being. And if they are incapable of having that uh, or maintaining uh, for themselves that dignity or respect, they shouldn't then themselves be have to be responsible for um, enforcing that that our society will enforce that for them. Does that make sense? You know, and that is, a, that is a recognition that people are vulnerable. People can be put in a vulnerable position and they deserve to be protected from infringements, like infringements of their free speech, yeah. infringements of their personal property. Mm-hmm. Like all of the libertarian values are also reflected in a kind of, I hate to say it's sort of a safety net situation if we want to look at it in terms of if not government enforcing these expectations that we protect each other's values, then at least the society does.
5: I would Otherwise, say um, when it comes to safety nets, where I where I talked about uh, the sexual revolution being a microcosm of everything that can go wrong with them, the um, the ethical standards of caregiving for d- adults with disabilities, um, and and really children with disabilities as well. But I work with adults, so that's what I'm more familiar with. Um, that actually seems to be a microcosm of how you should be approaching the this, this situation. Because there are people who need safety nets because they have a, a lower level of capability in, comparing, in comparison to, say, the rest of society. But the part of the ethics of providing care and providing a system of care uh, for people who have disabilities that maybe make them vulnerable to um, to to the environment, to uh, basically failure to thrive and inability to take care of themselves, or being exploited by by other people. Is you look for ways to mitigate the threats to them to make their lives as normal as possible in comparison to everybody else's lives, so that they they're able to do as many of the same things that are that are normal within society. Um, that, that everybody else does within society as possible without treading on what level of agency they have and uh, what level of um, uh, decision making they're they're capable of and, and basically um, ta- you don't you don't take their control over their lives away uh, you you are there to accentuate it and a lot of safety nets in our modern society, Uh, have forgotten that, like have been made without that in mind. So they do take away that internal locus of control and they they, uh, impose an external locus of control. They force you to rely on things that you shouldn't have to rely on or um, they force other people to become an unwilling safety net for choices that are actually detrimental to the individual and to the whole of society, which goes back to that sexual revolution Uh, microcosm and I think if if we could develop within our society a system of ethics similar to what we use when we are providing medical care and and health care and well-being care for people who are genuinely compromised as far as their their uh, independence is concerned because of disabilities um, we would go a long way toward dividing between safety nets versus unsafety nets.
7: If you are in a position where you need help, you want others to be, you know, to look and have pity upon you and, and help you out. So it helps if you do the same for others. If you, you know, if you do unto others as you would have done unto yourself, right? Um, But it, it breaks down when, you know, someone is always looking out for help like they're always seeking out for help they never can seem to to get their feet underneath them and you know find find their way but you know it's people who just make bad decisions you know it's why should we constantly help people who can't do anything but make the wrong decisions Maybe we can help them in a way of showing them how to make proper decisions that would enhance their lives but and you know not lead them to not need help from other people um but I think to have a healthy kind of safety net system you also have to like I was just saying be able to show people how to get themselves out of their situation it's not just helping it's helping them and then showing them how, you know, how to go about not getting back into that same situation to begin with.
0: I don't think uh, in many cases, women in general are really taught, like they don't have that, uh, our society in general doesn't seem to have that focus on teaching that responsibility um, and that ability to manage your own thinking around uh, danger and vulnerability. That it does for men. Um and then, uh, you know, like we 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 just don't teach women how to be responsible, and then we let them be irresponsible up to the point where they cease to be cute or attractive, um or they do something so heinous. And I mean, this is this is doesn't excuse women of not taking responsibility once they understand this. And then we just sort of throw them to the roll of wolves <laughs> or just let them marinate in their own the own devils that they've created because nobody cares to actually save them anymore and it's like well maybe what we should do is just start teaching women to be responsible and one of the most fundamental things that teach boys and men to be responsible is the very fact that their gender identity and i don't know how you do this with women but their gender identity expects responsibility as a condition of existing So, you know, be a real man, man up, take responsibility for the people who are weaker than you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what it is to be a man. That's what it is to have a male gender identity, is to recognize your effect on others, to be concerned about your effect on others, to take responsibility for it. That's part of the male gender identity. And um, the, uh, the, the fact is that that isn't part of the female gender identity. It's not baked into the very basic identity of women. Like it is for men.
7: It's the polar opposite.
0: Yeah. yeah it's like <laughs> the, the, helplessness they're, is femininity.
7: Yeah. They're, they're, they're taught, women are taught from very young, very young ages that they should be seen and treated as princesses and put up on a pedestal. And princesses, I'm sorry, but they have no responsibilities other than to sit well, there. Well, technically, princesses and, had a
0: ton yeah. of
5: Yeah. Women are, it, it's more, modern like princesses. Yeah. Don't. Modern women get treated like uh, something between something between uh, an adolescent and a an adult. Like there's a thing right in between. You're you're too young to to take the responsibility of voting, and you're old enough to take responsibility for your life, and and so they're allowed to vote, and you know, and drive, and but not expected to fulfill any of the other adult responsibilities. Not even having a job, right? Um, and what, what's really sad about this is it's a step backward for women, because if you look back in history, if you look back a hundred years ago, that was not the case. Now, a hundred years ago, there were still uh, coverture laws. There were still a lot of laws that um, made husbands responsible for wives financially, um, that they're not in existence anymore as coverture laws. We, if you get divorced, you discover that they are still in existence. Uh, but, uh, but they're not necessarily written into um, our, our legal code as, as applying in a marriage or as applying in a circumstance where there was no marriage in the first place. Um, but it used to be that women were expected to, to notice their impact on other people. And it used to be that we were able to recognize that women could lie. We were able to recognize that women could make decisions that would cost all of the, the people around them uh, in terms of um, their safety and their labor and uh, you know their, their ability to progress and so on. We used to be able to recognize all of that. And there was a confounding factor that came in and changed that. That was feminism. Gynocentrism has always... Um, given women a pass on a lot of things, right? Gynocentrism has always presumed women uh, weaker and more vulnerable to um, basically emotional triggers, things like uh, a woman might not be able to handle certain rough situations and things like that. Um, And that sort of developed over centuries. But feminism was like, you took gynocentrism and you put it on a combination of steroids and crack, and uh, and so now now what we've got is this situation where we're not allowed to notice that that women can make mistakes and we're not allowed to expect women to take the initiative to correct their own mistakes the way we expect men to we're not allowed to expect women to judge themselves by their impact on the people around them and uh, we're not allowed to expect women to think of themselves as more and more important than people's responses to them, and that's that's a really sad thing for all of society. It hurts men, and it, it, because it makes men responsible for women, it, it basically puts our our society in a position of forcing women to take advantage of men and forcing men to be taken advantage of. And it hurts women because it help it it prevents women from. Uh, reaching their fullest potential as human beings everybody has the capacity within themselves somewhere to take risks to uh, strive to be a benefit to their community to wanna leave their mark on the world in a positive way where they've done something even if it's just for one other person right even if all you did was uh, take soup to your neighbor when your neighbor was sick right everybody has the capacity to want to be that person And everybody has the capacity to want to minimize the number of mistakes they're going to make and reduce, over time, their pattern of mistake-making as they get older and wiser. It's really, really evil to tell people you're not allowed to do that. You can't be wrong, and therefore you're not allowed to correct your mistakes. You're not allowed to reduce your pattern of making mistakes as you get older. You're not allowed to learn from them. You're not allowed to better yourself because you're not allowed to need betterment. Mm-hmm. It, that's, that's like yeah. cutting somebody's legs off.
6: Uh, that's the end. Uh, Alison's recording also cut out in case you hadn't... Uh.
1: Welcome to the Subterranean Lair, under the Subterranean Lair.
0: Everywhere we go, men are being shamed. They're being shamed for being men, for being masculine, for their interests, for their lack of interest, for how they express their emotions, or don't express their emotions at all. You want to just suck it up and tough it out. But that's shame, too. Being stoic is the reason why women are hurt, don't you know? Or at least that's what they say. Imagine a community where men don't need women's permission to be men, where women have men's back, because as strong as you are, sometimes you need someone to notice you and take a moment to show that they care. Imagine the Honey Badger Radio community, men and women coming together to be their best selves, and support each other overcoming all the messages that men and masculinity are bad and to blame for the world's ills. If you're interested in joining that community, and taking your place by our side, helping us build a more compassionate, a more just, and just plain funny world, then go to FeedTheBadger.com. Support our community. Take part. Help us build something great together. The world needs masculinity. It needs men. It needs you. We recognize that. Support that recognition. FeedTheBadger.com.